All right, 1 Corinthians 12, please. 1 Corinthians 12. We are looking at verse 12 through verse 14. I'm going to read this uh, short couple of verses here. Then we'll have a word of prayer. And then we will have the Lord teach us from this passage. First Corinthians twelve twelve. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Heavenly Father, today we open up your word and study from it again. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Your faithfulness in giving us a word that does not change. It's set before us and set in eternity forever. You will not contradict yourself. You only speak the truth. And you do this to us out of your love for us so that we might know what it is we need to know about you and what it is we need to know to live a life pleasing to you. So today we invest our time in a study of your word. Ask that you might uh, use it powerfully in our life, because you are faithful at that too. To correct us and change us and to encourage us and to guide us. And we thank you for all those things you do all the time when we open up this book. You are so good to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I started last week on this, and you can tell my voice is not quite there yet, but it's almost there. Almost. There are two essential understandings that we're pulling from this passage, and they're very important. We're in the practical side of how do you function efficiently as a church. And the two things we are examining here, they're very elementary, I know, but they're very important. One was that we are all in one body in Christ. We are all in one body in Christ. And the second in this passage is, we are all individual members of that one body. Individual members. Remember, it's not independent members but individual members in that body. And so we're working through this passage with this understanding. When the New Testament talks about the one body, it's talking about the church as a whole. And that spans 2,000 years. And so many other countries. So many other people. When he talks about the body... And the members of the body, it's an amazing thing to belong to such a group, isn't it? You are in the same body as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, Martin Luther. Go through the history of church history and find these individuals and say, wow, we're all part of that too? Yes. Someday the whole body will be together in the glory, standing before the Lord, and what a day that will be. That's exciting. But we are not 
independent members in that body. And I made that point last week and, and uh, tried to underscore the fact that we need each other. We cannot exist separately. That's not what the body is all about. I need you and you need me and we need each other. If we are not only to function as a body, but even to function efficiently as a body. For if we forget and believe that we are the ones it's all about, and we get very individualistic about that in the independent side of it, we change the whole dynamics of what the body is designed to be. I need to say this before I go into the rest of the sermon. Happy Mother's Day. You feel better now? He said, but Pastor, this isn't a Mother's Day message. No, it's not. And you're going to get real uncomfortable for a few minutes. I just had to tell you something nice before I got into this next paragraph. I got uncomfortable reading my own notes. I said, oh, no. The passage we have before us, when you start to break it down from verse 15 all the way through verse 27, presents two massive barriers to the practice of dependence among individual members who make up the body of Christ. There are two big things right here on the page that can get rather scary. And we're going to have to look at them because the first barrier is seen in verse 15 through 19. We're going to spend our time there this morning. The second barrier is from verse 20 to 27. And as you look at the whole chapter, you will realize that nearly half of this chapter is covered with this issue. This issue <coughs> that's addressed to the Corinthian church, it's an issue within their fellowship. And we just read this and we pray, Lord, let it not be an issue in ours. In a sense, just by studying them, we might see our own issues in things like this. But also there's a little bit less of the sting when you see the mistakes of other people and not yourself. And it's easier to learn by that than to have somebody point their finger directly at us. You uncomfortable yet? Here it goes. Verse 15. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? There is an ugly word that fits this passage. It's a very common word, but it's a word hated by God. Is that powerful? You know the word? It's called pride. Pride. In Proverbs 16, verse 5, the Lord recorded, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Isn't that a big word? 
is an abomination to the Lord. In Habakkuk 2, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. I didn't have to point that out to you. But it's what God says. If you, much, if you spend much time reading in God's Word, you've seen that before. When I looked up pride's definition in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, there's a whole list of different things in there, but one of them stood out to me. <laughs> the quality or state of being proud, such as inordinate self-esteem. Inordinate means excessive. Self-esteem. Or the word conceit which means self-importance. On the spectrum of things, we tend to put excessive self-esteem on the far end of a chart, wouldn't we? We say, this is pride. And we, we, we take it way over here to the side that's excessive. And we say, well, normal might be in the middle. Everyone's got something right there with pride. So we, we, we say that, but we try to avoid the extreme on that side. But what's on this side? What's on this side of it? If excessive pride is on one side, what is the opposite of that? On the spectrum, I pulled up the word antonym for pride and said, what does it say? Depression, gloom, melancholy, misery, pain, sadness, sorrow, trouble, unhappiness, woe, disgrace, and humility. Oh, what an interesting list. I want to suggest something to you today concerning pride. It's easy to conclude that the excessive self-esteem is a pride issue. That's easy. I mean, that's really easy for it to say. But I would also suggest to you that on the other end of the spectrum, the self uh, the, the self-loathing, uh, if you will, deprecation, disparaging, undervaluing of oneself is a pride issue, too. It's a pride issue, too. It's on the same spectrum. This last uh, week, you watched the news earlier in the week, we, we saw those Horrible tornadoes that came into our state. That's, that's not uncommon for Oklahoma. But we've seen this before. We, we've seen the disasters, and even the record of the biggest tornadoes have been in the month of May. And we've seen that too. The scenes we view on the news can break your heart. You see people lose their property you see homes destroyed. You see barns destroyed. People who have invested years and years into their belongings have them all destroyed and taken away from them. Things carried away by the winds. It's not uncommon to find a mobile home destroyed or upside down. Cars, pickup trucks strewn all over the place. Picked up and moved. Sometimes you find them upside down in the neighbor's yard. I'm not making light of that at all. I'm just taking a simple picture that you know very well in order to show you a concept. It's simple. 
a car picked up, tossed about, and deposited upside down in another person's property is still a car. It's just upside down. Upside down pride is still pride. Sometimes we think, if I'm not on this far of the spectrum, but I'm on this far of the spectrum, then I don't have a pride issue. (laughs) Pride is anywhere on the spectrum, whether it's excessive or not. The Corinthians had a pride problem. The, The background to this context is vital to understand chapter number 12. And we've been here before, but let me initially introduce to you, if you've never met the Corinthian church, what it was that they needed this address. The initial introduction we had in chapter 1, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 10, with me here for a minute, it's not very far in your Bible. We are, we are introduced to a church that has a practice of division and quarrels. It says in verse 10, 11, and 12, For I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no division among you, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this. Each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. That's division. They were quarreling among each other. The church had turned into a source of competition rather than cooperation. What was the source of this? Why why were they acting like this? Jump down to chapter 3 for a minute. And just look at the first four verses. I'll give you the word for it before we even see it. It's called immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? When one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? He just put his finger right on the sore spot, didn't he? He says, your problem is immaturity. Jealousy springs from that. Strife springs from that. Division springs from that. Quarrels come from that. If you want to know what the root is, it's immaturity in Christ. And if the church doesn't grow... This is what it's going to look like. Grow as in growing in Christ. Chapter 4, jump over there for a minute. Verse 6 and 7. Now these things, brethren, I figuratively figuratively applied to myself and to Paulus for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what was written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 
this is where pride starts to rise up from the midst of this. I could cite you many other verses. I'm not going to do that right now. But I want to wrap it up with another part of the book that is very common to us all. It's called chapter 13. Chapter 13 is what we call the love chapter, right? Now, to understand it, I think to understand it best in its context, Paul did not write chapter 13 to give us something wonderful to put on a Valentine's Day card. He did not write chapter 13 to hang on a pretty picture on the wall or to be part of wedding vows, although that's not a bad idea. It's just, listen, all right. It's my hunch, though, if you match up 1 Corinthians as a whole book to chapter 13 that's in this book, Paul did not write chapter 13 to pat them on the back and tell them they've done a great job. But if I'm correct in this, I think it's best to get the feel for the chapter by yelling it at somebody. Because that's the tone in which the letter is written. Every single thing stated about love in chapter number 13, I could show you from the rest of the book, the Corinthians had it backwards. Every single thing is said, they had it backwards. They did the exact opposite. I studied this through once and just wrote out, and it's verse after verse after verse with every single statement, but I'm just going to say it in a simple way. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, and they were not. Love is kind, and they were not. Love is not jealous. Were they? Oh, yes, they were. Love does not brag. Did they? Yes, they did. Love is not arrogant. Were they? Yes, they were. Love does not act unbecomingly. Go to chapter 5 and scare yourself with that passage. They did. Love does not seek its own. They did that. Love is not provoked. Chapter 6, they spend all the time suing one another. They were. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And they did. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, they were already rejoicing over somebody in sin. Love rejoices in the truth, and they didn't do that. Love bears all things. Nope. Love believes all things. Nope. Love hopes all things. No, nope. they didn't do that either. It endures all things. Uh-uh. Nope. Nope. Folks, chapter 13 is a bad report card for the Corinthian church. It records all these things when you step back and look at the environment of the whole church. You can't help but see, wow, he spent a whole portion of these chapters dealing with pride. Pride has its source in immaturity. And it can hit you on either side, says the spectrum. Let me show you what I mean when I work through this. Because... This affects a church. Let me ask you a simple question. 
How would it affect the church's ability to work together, grow together, become Christ-like if pride was at the seat of it all? That would be horrific. Matter of fact, it wouldn't be accomplished at all. Immaturity always has an adverse work on efficient functioning, even just functioning of the church. Now, what do I mean by immaturity? Just so you know, in biblical terms, simply put, it's not being what you are designed to be in Christ. It's not being what you're designed to be in Christ. There is an expectation throughout the whole New Testament that those in Christ will grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is that true? Is that what God expects of us? You know, it's a command. So if you're not doing it, guess what? It's called disobedience. God expects us. He doesn't give a command and say, okay, you figure out if you want to do it or not. But he told us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a realization throughout the New Testament that those who in Christ are not growing are frankly more spending more time in the flesh than in the spirit. What did Paul call that? Immaturity. You are babes in Christ. Now, I find it very interesting now, coming back to our Corinthian passage, that when Paul deals with pride, he covers it on both sides of the spectrum. Verse 15 through 28 is a large thing, but it cuts right in half here with the first group who's on the low end of the spectrum. Let me, let me give you a picture first. Generally, you ever feel like you've been run over in church? Like you were, you were trying to do something or you wanted to help some, and you just kind of got run over? You ever feel that feeling? Like somebody said, no, you can't do that, something like that. Ever feel that, that sense that, you know, you're not part of the group or you're not wanted in the group or such like that? I, I, it's not an uncommon thing, quite honestly. There seems to be in every church that I've ever seen the haves and the have-nots. I love reading Dr. Seuss stories. One of my favorite is the Starbelly Sneetches. You know that story? These, these, these Sneetches, I, I don't know exactly what they were. They're odd-looking yellow creatures that almost look like a bear, but like people or something. They walk around on their hind legs, but they're called Sneetches. And these, these Sneetches live in a community that's divided between those who have Stars, blue stars on their belly, one big blue star, or those who have no star upon bars. All right? I love the poetry of it. It's just great. Well, one day this man comes into the community with this wonderful machine that's designed to put stars on bellies. So all those without stars who have felt left out from the rest of the group went to this man and paid the fee and ran through the machine and came out of the other side with a star on their belly. And it looked just like the others that had them. But the original star belly Sneetches didn't like that. And so they found out that this man's machine also could remove stars from your belly. 
And so they would go and pay him their money and run through his machine and come out on the other side without a star on their belly. And if you follow the rest of the story, you know exactly what happened. They all just started circling round and round going into that machine, paying the guy their money, coming out on the other side, some with stars, some with not, some with stars, some with not. Some had two stars, some had none. It just started to go on and on and on until they ran out of money. And the man packed up his machine and left. Guess who was the winner that day? The man with the machine. But what was interesting at the very end was that nobody knew who the original star belly sneeches were and who wasn't a star belly sneech because they had stars all over them or none at all. And so it kind of eliminated the competition, if you will. I thought, what a clever little poem that was. It was designed for children, right? Hmm. I think it's a picture of the Corinthian church at times. They had divided between those who have and those who have not. Even the, the, the captain of their teams, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos, and then I'm of Christ. I wouldn't be surprised if they wore t-shirts that matched the colors. I think they were that competitive. They probably divided the pews up that only the Paul group sat here and only the Peter group sat there. Who came up with the fourth group? We're of Christ. Boy, doesn't that sound spiritual. If you were a have-not kind of person in the Corinthian church, it's quite possible you could have resented those who have, even to the point of self deprecation, disparaging yourself, undervaluing yourself. And I told you that's called pride too. Now I've got to prove it to you. In verse 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. Stop. Did you see it? This really is a question. Verse number 15 is a question. Now, the King James makes that very clear. They put a question mark at the end of verse 15. The New American doesn't. In the Greek, there is a question mark right there. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Let me ask you some questions. These are simple facts. You don't need a doctorate to do it. Is a foot a part of the body? Good. Three of us agree. We agree. The foot is part of the body. Is the hand a part of the body? Yes. Is the hand more important than the foot? That's what they're trying to say. Oh, the hand's more important than the foot. The foot is saying that because I'm not a hand. I'm not part of the body. If the foot cannot be a hand, is the foot better off if it was separated from the body? I'm better off. I, I'm, I'm not part of it, right? A.T. Robertson is a great Greek scholar. And some people say, well, I've never even read his works. They're, they're like commentaries. They use the languages for verses and things like that. And he'll point out all these great things like 
passives and participles and all these fun things that people like I get all excited about. But uh, he made one comment in this passage. He says, thinking or saying so does not change the facts. Thinking or saying so does not change the facts. I want you to... That's okay. I'll get it later. Um, I want you to notice something in this verse. Look at it again. Because I am not a hand. I am not... Wait, you see inflation going on here? What's being emphasized? I, 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 I. Quite honestly, that's generally where we start to get off track, isn't it? When we focus on ourselves, the I am statements, that I am saying, I am not the right part. I don't have the same value as that other part. I don't have the same importance as that other part. I don't have the same reason to be in the body as that other part. You know what that suggests? God made me a foot. That wasn't right. Oh, we're not going to say that, are we? If God placed me in this body and he made me a foot, was that a mistake? Was that a mistake? Look at the rest of the verses. 16 and 17. If the ear should say, we could throw him in here too, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole <laughs> were hearing, where would be the smelling? Here's where it comes. But now God set the members, every one of them, in the body. Look at the last words. As it hath pleased him. What's my point? Is it not an issue of pride? You could say excessive self-esteem to conclude that your opinion of your place in the body is a better opinion than God's? Ooh, that hurt. Is that not what we say if we speak like a foot? My opinion is better than God's on this. It's hard to focus on others, folks, when we're full of ourselves. We're trying to get pity. I'm afoot. Trying to get pity. Because that's not where we want to be. Wasn't that many weeks ago that Jeff showed me a little cartoon from the Babylon Bee, which is, it was really quite humorous. All these guys hovered together, praying together. This poor guy was really distraught because he just discovered he was an appendix in the church, in the body. And uh, I thought, well, isn't that a funny thing? I've often asked people, if you were uh, to recognize yourself as a part of the body in a visible way, what part would you be? I've heard people say, I'm a mouth, and I would agree with them. <laughs> I haven't heard too many say, boy, I wish I was something else, really. Not verbally, but in here, how many times does that phrase come up? Boy, I wish I was something else. 
I, I wish God had made me different than what I am. You know, it's kind of hard to focus on God's will and your placement in the body when you protest how He made you and how He put you in this body for His pleasure. Do you know what we usually miss out on when we get into the pride issue? And this is the pride on that spectrum, isn't it? He's looking down upon himself. And he's saying, well, I, I'm just in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong part. I'm all that. And really what he's saying is that God did not do this right for me. And it's really hard to serve others when you're focused on yourself. It happens every time. There's the ingredients for division, ingredients for jealousy, ingredients for strife, immaturity written all over it. And we call, sometimes we call that humility. But what it actually is, is it's pride. It's pride. God didn't give us the opportunity to select our gifts, did he? Maybe somebody in this room was different. Maybe God said, okay, I just saved you. What do you want to do? He didn't say that to you, did he? No. You know why he chose? Number one, he's God. He has a prerogative. Number two, he's wiser than you and me. Isn't his choice the best? Isn't he always good? Uh Uh-huh. Thank you, Patrick. You helped us today. He chose us. He's wiser than us. On top of all that, he sees the whole picture. He knows where you need to be in the body to help the body the best. He designed it. And he didn't create an inferior body. He didn't create something that was just kind of so-so. And maybe you just happened to get along well. He didn't just randomly throw parts together and think maybe that's going to come out right. I used to think of that as the American motor cars. If you ever had one, I'm sorry. But I always thought, after all the other big car dealers made their cars, they sent all the spare parts to American Motors. They built these things called Matadors. So you remember the Matador? It's like, what is that? There was all kinds of interesting things I, I thought as a kid. Maybe I, was, I had problems. But um, God didn't create the body like that. He didn't take spare parts, scrap parts, just throw them together and see what happens. He placed the members in the body, just as it pleased him. And I'd hate to stand up and say, but he did it wrong. How about you? That's not where we should be. That, see, that, that's a pride thing. It's upside down, but it's pride. It's the same thing. And that kind of pride is a barrier every single time to efficient functioning in the church. It's a barrier because not only do you not feel like serving if you're down on that level, but everybody on the other levels feel like they've got to find some way to pull you up. Extra work. That means somebody's not doing their job because they have to help you do your job to get you to a place where all the jobs work together. Does that make sense or is that Dr. Seuss-like? That's the complications. It creates a complication over and over and over and over again. And that's not the way it ought to be. So God, in his wisdom, created the body. We all agree to that. God, in his wisdom, gave you a responsibility as an individual in the body. We all agree to that. Don't we? 
God in his wisdom made you what you are in the body. That's the beauty of it all. In his wisdom, in his pleasure, he created you what you are. Don't sit down on the end of that spectrum and say, but I don't belong to the body because I'm not a hand. You see the picture? That's what he's dealing with in the first couple of verses of this section. We're one big body of Christ with many parts within it. All the parts need to function Christ-like. All of them need to function Christ-like. Every part needs to grow. Within that body, the whole body operating together as a whole body, gifted as a whole body, dependent upon each other as a whole body. This is not competition, folks. This is cooperation. This is not separation. This is cohesiveness where we stick together and we stick together tightly. Rejoice that God has made the parts different. Rejoice in it. See the beauty of His creativity and His power. If you go earlier in the book, God especially likes to choose those parts you tend to neglect. He says, oh, you think that person's nothing? Wait till you see what I could do with nothing. There's a guy, my little note that's sticking down on the floor. There's a guy named Robert Murray McCheney. Maybe you've heard his name before. Um, he wanted desperately to be a missionary to the Jews in his early years. He's in his 20s. He wanted to, the Lord to send him to the Jewish uh, people so he can serve them and present Christ. And instead, God made him ill. You say, huh? He spent most of his time in a bed. He could not serve like he wanted to. And yet he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote his, they call it his memoirs. He wrote down what he was thinking. And one of the phrases that caught my heart was this phrase. I am never more useful than when I am satisfied to lay at the feet of Jesus whether he uses me or not. The Lord took him home at 29 years of age. And that was what the Lord had for him. That was the pleasure of our Lord. Do you think he's in heaven saying, boy, am I disappointed? I don't think so. He had 29 years to serve the Lord. And most of it was spent in a bed. How many times do we take things? I mean, it could be anything. But we may sit down here on this end because we're not feeling well. We've gone through phases like that. Some of us a lot more. Some of us have debilitating issues. And we sit down there and we say, well, I can't do anything. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. We forget it's not them. It's God who works through us. How many times have we sat down here and we compared ourselves to everybody else in, the, in their body? We said, well, they're more important. They're no more important. They're no more important. Therefore, I'm not. And we forget. Our focus is not on us. It's not on them. It's on the God who placed us there. How many times have we sat down here in this end and said, it's not pride? Yes, it is. I'm sorry to tell you that. If that's bothering you, maybe that's pride too. But... 
This is an issue that we have to be careful of because it's a barrier. Every single time it's a barrier, it prevents our cooperating in ministry together for the efficient functioning of the church so that we build up to the body of Christ and be built in love. You see the warning? That's the warning there. We are all in one body. We're individual members of that body. But we're divinely designed to be dependent on one another. Dependent on one another. There's no other way the church can function. But just to please the Lord in this fashion. Okay, I beat you up enough. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. This is, we're going into the second side. We're going to talk about the excessive side next week. Okay. I know it. It's a tough thing to study this during the week and say, oh no. All right. So we'll talk about that next week. But I, I just love God's word. I love the way he talks to us. He's so kind. He's talking about feet and hands. And yet we know how to take that to heart, don't we? He's very good to us. He always is. If you happen to be a visitor with us today, at the close of our service, we have a welcome room right back here in the hallway, and I always like to have the opportunity to meet you and talk to you for a few minutes. But if you're a visitor with us today for the first time, would you please come back after the last song and join us back there? We have a gift for you, if that helps, but uh, we would certainly love to take an opportunity to get to know you a little better, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the kindness in which you present it to us. So often, Lord, we get wrapped up in ourselves. You know that. You've been so patient with us, so very kind to us, loving even when we struggle, even when our minds are not where they ought to be, our hearts are not set where they ought to be. You don't hesitate to tell us the truth, to lay it before our eyes. We need it as a guide. We need it as an encouragement. Sometimes we need it to correct us when we're thinking wrong. But in all that, you've been very good <coughs> to consistently present to us our need to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope we all have that ambition here. Whether we're on one end or another end of a spectrum or not, may we all have the same desire. I want to be like you, Lord. I want to be like you. I belong to you. And I want to be like you. So work in our hearts, individually and as a whole, that this church might function efficiently for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.